When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Go Huskies podcast is presented by Air Van Moving, the official mover of Husky Athletics and your next move. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, hey, how's it going? Welcome to a Football Friday edition of the Go Huskies podcast. I'm Tony Castricone. Second straight road game coming up for the dogs. It's time in Palo Alto. It's a tough place to play at Stanford. The dogs have lost six straight in Stanford Stadium. Can they turn the tides? Not only on the series, but... Also on the 2021 season, Washington off to a 3-4 and four start, 2-2 two and two in league play, and barely surviving down in the desert against an Arizona team that had lost 18 straight coming into the game. So Washington not playing well at all in the first half, played well enough to come back and get the win in the second half. What do the dogs do in Palo Alto against a Stanford team that is also 3-4? and four. They're 2-3 and three in league play. They've got one more non-conference game coming up at the end of the year against Notre Dame, but one thing that's really interesting about this matchup is that both teams historically have been very good at both running the ball and stopping the run. Rushing offense, rushing defense, a strength for both programs historically. Not this year. Neither team is in the top 10 in the league in either category, in the top 100 in the nation out of 130 FBS teams in either category. So both teams struggling to run the ball and stop the run. And so what gives in this game between two programs led by two head coaches that really want to have establishing the run be a part of their identity I think it's really a fascinating matchup Jimmy Lake his first full season on the job six and five in his time at Washington going up against David Shaw one of the top 10 winning as coaches in the history of the Pac-12 so it's going to be interesting to see uh, who is able to get a running game going uh, I'd expect both teams to try to establish one we'll see if one is able to have success but obviously if both teams struggle running the ball and stopping the run an X factor then could be 
falling into other categories like the passing game. They've got sophomore quarterback Tanner McKee, one of the top recruits in the nation, who's done a nice job with a 14-3 touchdown to interception ratio so far this year. On the flip side of the ball, you got Dylan Morris, who has struggled with his touchdown interception ratio, but really showed a lot of grit in the second half of that Arizona win. Uh, had his nose bloodied up, really couldn't get it to stop. That's why I missed that that series uh, early in the game where Sam Heward came in, he was able to go back out there, put his helmet back on despite the pain, despite the swelling, and uh, had some big strikes, two 51-yarders to Terrell Bynum in order to get the win over Arizona. And so now the question becomes, you know, in this passing game, who's Dylan Morris going to hit? Who's going to be his, his go-to guy in this game? We'll talk to wide receivers coach Junior Adams and get his thoughts on that. Also, we're going to talk to Scott Reese. He's the play-by-play voice of the Stanford Cardinal and uh, the Cardinal have struggled defensively over the last couple of years now and offensively they just aren't a team that pounds the rock the way they used to but like I mentioned with Tanner McKee they can get vertical in the passing game they do have a couple of really good wins on their resume so far beating number 14 USC beating number three Oregon so this will be a tough one for the Huskies going down to Stanford Stadium don't expect a whole lot of fans there. Don't expect a whole lot of natural energy in the building. Huskies in a game that typically against an opponent that doesn't play a, a high possession football game. You think about earlier this year in their opener against Kansas State, only 97 snaps were taken in the entire game. 97 snaps against Kansas State. I think it was 52 for Stanford and 45 for Kansas State. Last year in the game against uh, Stanford, the Washington Huskies only had seven possessions in that entire game. They scored on five of them, but they still ended up losing 31-26 to because seven possessions is not a heck of a lot. So you got to be effective and efficient when you have your opportunities, when you have the football. We will talk to Junior Adams about that from the wide receiving perspective, and we will talk to Scott Reese, get his thoughts on this year's 3-4 and four Stanford Cardinal coming up on this edition of Football Friday here on the Go Huskies podcast. And it's brought to you by GoPuff. College goes by fast, but GoPuff delivers much faster. GoPuff delivers anything you need in 30 minutes or less. You get snacks, drinks, other game day essentials like burgers and buns and party cups to everyday needs like laundry stuff, school supplies, electronics, over-the-counter meds if you're not feeling your best, and much, much more. Hey, GoPuff was made for college by students, so they know what you need and when you need it. And they've got a promo code for you. Get 10 bucks off your first two orders if you use promo code VARSITY. That's V-A-R-S-I-T-Y. The promo code VARSITY at checkout for $10 off your first two orders. Okay, let's talk about the Husky side of things with wide receivers coach Junior Adams. All right, Husky wide receiver coach Junior Adams. Husky's down on the farm battling Stanford. And uh, let's talk first about this recent game against Arizona. Junior, seems like in the second half, uh, dogs found something. Two biggest explosive plays of the season, 51 yarders to Terrell Bynum, uh, vertical passing game down in the desert. What did you see in the second half of that game against the Wildcats? Um, what I saw was, you know, obviously went in the, in the halftime and made some adjustments, um, you know, attacked him with a few different type of schemes and you know we made some plays on third down and Jalen had a really big time play Mm -hmm. on a third and I want to say third and two third and three situation you know where he broke a tackle and made a play and then next we know it's a run after catch and and then that led to another third and eight I think it was a third and ten where then we found TB out the back door and uh, he made a big play and then you know like we've talked about in the receiver room is just you know those are juice plays 
you know, it kind of gets us in rhythm. It gives us some energy. It gives us some life. And, you know, one play leads to another. You know what I mean? And stacking on, you know, positive plays. And obviously that that helped with Dylan getting in the, in the rhythm and, and finding some completions. And, um, and then, um, you know, we felt like we had him on their heels. We got some momentum going. And then we launched. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we launched uh, TB. And it was really good to see um, us connect on that, Dylan and, 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 and TB. And then um, on the big on the big post right over the middle, and um, you know, and then we finished the game with TB, you know, another big time play, and then yeah. Rome, uh, Rome, uh, you know, in the corner in the corner pocket of the end zone. So, um, you know, we just made some adjustments. One play led to another. Um, we again we talk about just trying to find a way to get in the rhythm and have some good energy and create juice. And when we do that, we're we're pretty good on offense. Well, it's. Uh, let's start with TB. I, I think you, you talk about explosive plays in the passing game and, and everybody uh, coming into the season very excited about the young guys and, mm-hmm. and McMillan and Adunze and their explosiveness. But your five longest passing plays this season have all been to the veteran Terrell Bynum, who kind of made a name for himself early in his career as a slot guy, kind of a shorter yardage mm-hmm. uh, a receiver. What what has kind of grown in TB's game that's, that's brought this explosiveness, do you think? Um, I think, you know, one thing I wanted to harp on him and even the whole room about was just, you know, creating moments, you know, and that is, you know, you take a a five-yard play and turn it into an explosive play. Um, obviously, this past weekend, TB went over the top and was able to stretch the field for us a little bit. Um, you know, early in his career, you know, you, you look back and you look at, like, against Washington State and, you know, in the Apple Cup two years ago, I mean, he did the same thing. He stretched yeah. the field vertical for us, and then he caught the – you know the the you know the, the fade route on the outside, um, but you know he he works on it. He practices it. You know what I mean in practice. You know, as late as you know you get to this time in the season and guys kind of start feeling their bodies a little bit and they're tired. But um, one thing he does every day is he he still catches and and finishes. You know like he's like he's in the game and you saw that against Oregon State, right? I thought early in the season against Michigan, I thought there were some situations where he caught a slant and maybe fell or he got tackled, and I thought there could have been more run after catch and then you know then he really started we make we started making an emphasis with him and everybody else and you know he gets in that situation against Oregon State and he catches you know that you know like a 10-yard route and he turns it into like a 40-yard play I think it was so you know just practicing that way you know and that's one thing you know Coach Lake talks about and what we preach is you know practice execution becomes game time reality and 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 that's what happens. Hey, how about Roma Dunze? Now back-to-back games with the the first mm-hmm. couple touchdowns of his career. Mm-hmm. Obviously, didn't start the season healthy, um, right. but now seems to be running at full strength from from all appearances. Mm-hmm. No, Rome is. Um, I'm pleased where he's headed. Um, Rome works hard every day. He comes in early. He gets the plays down. Um, he stays after. He comes out even early to practice, and you know, and one of the first guys on the field. Um, you know, getting his catches in. Um, stays after practice, gets his catches in. And he, he practices hard. I mean, again, he, he, he's recreating the game in practice. Um, and the thing, with, the thing with Rome is the sky's the limit. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's just so much more football. There's so much more growth in him. And he's such a, and like, he's such a good dude. you know what I mean? Like, Rome's a well-rounded person. He's, 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 he's got a high GPA. Like, you'll never have to worry about Rome. He's going to be on time. He's going to do his job. And then he comes to work every day. So, hey, speaking of that kind of, young leader sort of thing. I noticed 
you're traveling Jalen Polk right now, mm-hmm. even though he's out with a season-ending injury. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I see during practice the kind of energy that he has. But I just I got to wonder what makes it when you've got a limited travel roster, mm-hmm. he, he's still earning a trip on some of these road games. What? Why? <laughs> First of all, JP's been a, a, a great addition to that room, yeah. um, obviously. And he's in some ways is a big reason why that room has changed a little bit. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? As far as our mentality, um, the way the way they go about the workday, he brings a certain energy and a certain juice every day. Like, seriously, every day he's consistently the same person. And as we all know, that's hard to do. He, through the highs, through the lows, he was consistently being the same person. When he got injured, he, he, he was the same person that he was prior to being injured. And he just brings this certain energy and this certain juice. Um, I think he's he's really played a big part in, in Jalen McMillan, to be honest with you. Like him and Jalen are like they're like best friends. You know, they live together, they come to work every day together. Um, you know, he's kind of like Jalen's like big brother. You know what I mean? And, and honestly, he's made Jalen better on the field and helping Jalen grow. And and um, so no, he's he's you know he he travels because he's he's a real big part of what we do. Still, he prepares every week. Seriously, he prepares every week like he's still playing. And um, he comes to practice with, you know, he has a script. He's, he's the guys that aren't in. He's over there telling them, hey, this is the play that we're running. So he's locked in every day. And that's, you know, and he brings a good energy and juice to the sideline. He was seriously hurt. How hard was that for you as his position coach to see what happened to him in that first game against Montana? And then obviously all that followed. Well, I feel I feel bad. It's not just him. I think, you know, when we walked into the season, we had all those guys down. I feel bad for all of them. Do you know what I mean? And especially, you know, going in and, you know, play one in the game. And um, and having the injury that he had, and, and then still going out there and finishing the series, um, you know, he looked over at me. He's like, "I'm like, oh, you're good, you know." And then he, <laughs> you know, and he comes over like, "I think I did something to my collarbone or something." I don't, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, "Oh," and then he got the, he got checked out, and his mom was here that weekend yeah. too, you know. Um, and the next time they come in, like, you know, then he had to go get surgery that night. Yeah. So, I mean, that's you know, that's hard. You know, that's hard for. You know, these they put in so much work in the off season. They work so hard in the off season um, for for this for, for Saturdays or for Friday nights. You know what I mean for these moments and to for them not to be able to experience it. It's it's you know I always feel bad for them. You know, but again, I'm like, okay, it's life. Things happen, and how are we going to get better from it? You know what I mean? Like, what is the solution? How are we going to get better? And when all those guys were down, from TB to Jalen to Rome to JP. Like those guys got better in that in that window when they were down and they weren't able to practice or they weren't able to play. They got better. And I think, you know, we saw that when they got back, you know, I mean, it was like we pressed go and they were ready to go. Yeah, I think one of the things that just really stood out to me was seeing Jalen with that cast on, Mm -hmm. you know, and obviously there's only so much he can do in that situation. And yet he's out there doing one handed drills after practice when everybody else is gone. You know, I mean, this is a dude that, that seriously, it seems like the work ethic doesn't stop. Whatever he can do, he's going to do. Well, he's, and he's a routine person, too. Right. And he's obsessed about this game. You know what I mean? Like in order to be, you know, good or to be, you know, to, to be elite, you got to kind of you got to be a little you got to be a little bit obsessed about it. It's got to yeah. keep you up at night. It's got to wake you up early in the morning. And that's exactly what how JP is like. He's the first one in the building. Mm-hmm. He's literally him and Eddie are probably the first ones in the building. He's here at like six, six thirty in the morning and he's in there and, and you walk in, you walk by the receiver room. He's in there. Do you know what I mean? And now he's bringing other guys with him like Jalen and Rome. And, and um, you know, he's obsessed about it. He puts in the work and he knows when it's, you know, when he gets back healthy again, he's 
he's, there's not going to be a drop-off. He's probably going to be better than he was when we saw him play one against Montana, you know? So. Yeah, I know this whole coaching staff is has got that same sort of obsession in trying mm-hmm. to to win games, and it's mm-hmm. been a tough start to the season, yeah. offensively particularly. Uh, talk to me about how, how you try to stick through this grind here as we enter the second half of the season. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, switching up our routine a little bit at times. Um, we understand that this is it's like a boxing match, right? It's like it's different rounds, and mm-hmm. sometimes you win a round, you don't, you, you don't win a round, you know, and, and – um, and we're harping on just the details, you know, because, you know, one play can change a game in, in our favor or um, not in our favor. So just still sticking to the course and understand it's a process. You look at the game we just played. I mean, that wasn't a good first half of football, but there was some good stuff out there, right? But, again, like I told the guys, is it's a long game, and we stayed the course, and you see what happened in the third and fourth quarter. And um, No, it was good. We, we were resilient, and we fought back, and these, they're – the cool thing is there's so much more room to grow in this with, with this group or in this offense. Um, I mean, you look at our quarterbacks, they're young. You look at the receivers, they're young, minus TB. Um, you know, and there's some there's some young pieces up front. I mean, we're going to be just fine, and we're just going to keep consistently be the same person every day through the highs and lows and, and be positive and keep giving positive feedback and, and still harping on the details. I know you're getting ready to battle a Stanford team that yeah. – in that secondary, Caillou Blue Kelly is one of the, the top defenders in the country statistically in what he's done so far this season. What else do you see out of that back end of the defense that you're getting ready to go up against? They're sound, very sound, clean. Um, they play hard. They got some good size and range. And when it comes to, you know, when it comes to Caillou, man, he's a, he's a, he's a really good athlete. Um, he makes the, the thing that you see, I think, that separates him from a lot of DBs is he, he makes plays on the football. You know, like he can turn into a receiver out there. I mean, two years ago, he had a play on us as a freshman. There was a play he made against K-State this year where, like, he literally ran the route for the receiver and went up and made a play and took it off his helmet. So so he's uh, he's got good speed. Um, obviously, we, we're a little familiar with him because he went to high school at Rome, and it's a good friend of Rome's. And um, so I know, you know, his track background. But, you know, again, the things that separate him from a lot of the, the guys you, you see – is he makes plays on the football. Like, you, the ball's in the air, it's, you, you got to go up and you're going to have to compete for it. When I think back at these Stanford games, they're, they're always very physical. Last couple of years, we've had a hard time defensively getting off the field on third down, and that's how they've been able to kill the clock. But offensively, what, what do you think are some keys in order to try to maximize success against the Stanford team? Um, you, know, you know, as far as offensively, we gotta be, we got to be efficient. we gotta, um, we got to be able to get in a rhythm offensively and be able to finish drives. You know, and we got to find ways to create some explosives in the run game and in the pass game. We're going up against a, a defense that's very smart. They, they, they're smart. They know what, this, what they're doing in this game. They understand route structures. They understand their fits in the run game. Um, they're not going to make too many mistakes, you know, so we got to be clean. In each play, we need to, we, they need to be efficient plays, you know, so we can um, stay ahead of the chains and get in the rhythm and be able to finish in the end zone. Junior, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks to Junior for his time as the Husky offense will be going up against a Stanford team that gives up 28 points per game. Yes, they do have some talent on that side of the ball. Caillou Blue Kelly is certainly a guy to keep an eye on. He's uh, one of the top passes defensed guys in all of college football this year. Had a pick six in their upset win against USC and had an interception earlier in his career as well. 
against Washington when he was a freshman back in 2019, last time the Huskies were down there. To get more from the Stanford Cardinal, we catch up with the voice of the Cardinal, Scott Reese. All right, Scott Reese, here we both are, three and four. I, I got to be honest, um, looking at this schedule at the beginning of the year, you know, we're preseason ranked 20. Uh, we're really liking how camp is going. Um, we're hearing the strength of our team is supposed to be the offensive line. I'm looking at the schedule. Looks like the back half is tougher than the front half. I'm thinking to myself, hey, if we play well in Ann Arbor, there's a chance we go down to the farm 7-0, and and they're really good, and here we go. Like, it's 2017 all over again. It's, you know, these two power programs. Instead, we're both 3-4. and four. It's It's been kind of a strange season for both of us in, in kind of similar ways, hasn't it? It has. Uh, you know, for us, you flip-flop the schedule, and we knew the front half was murderer's row. Uh, and we didn't have a preseason number 20. So, you know, there, there were no real expectations, I think, outside the program. Uh, and, you know, when we beat SC early on, we beat Oregon, you know, it, it opened some eyes and everybody started to think, OK, you know, maybe this is the team to beat, you know, in the north. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, it's tailed off uh, in a couple of games since then. And I think that Washington State game two weeks ago for us was sort of the fulcrum game, right? You win that. Not only are you above 500, both overall and in conference, but you feel like you're one Oregon loss away from controlling your destiny in the north. And, and you know, who knows with a, a schedule that's easier on the backside than it was on the front side. You know, the mind starts to think of, you know, hey, maybe this could all work out. Um, but losing that game all of a sudden puts you back into, wow, we got to go over 500 the rest of the way just to get to a bowl game. It, you know, it, it changes you know everything, I think, from the outside looking in. Internally, they're always one game at a time, but you know, it's 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 not where we had hoped to be three weeks ago. Let's put it that way. So, I, I think last year Washington kind of came out with the mentality: run the damn ball, right? I mean, that that's the that's the concept, and they actually did fairly effectively last year, except for maybe you know in that Utah game. But then you look at this year. Okay, it's kind of it's kind of dropping off, and and that's a bit of a surprise. Looking at you guys, it seems to me this is kind of almost this is year four of a different a different offense I mean it's not it's it's not as successful running the football going on four years now and so is that what what do you attribute that to is that an identity shift or is that circumstantial based on injury what, what do you see going on at Stanford I think it is more circumstantial than an identity shift uh, I think that coach Shaw to his credit has been willing to adapt that identity uh, when necessary and circumstances have dictated it. Uh, I think that certainly that was the case last year. Um, you know, Davis Mills was uh, so good and the passing attack was so potent that they were perfectly happy to sort of go there first and use the pass to set up the run and it worked really well. You know, they had a big year from Austin Jones and the offense kind of clicked. Two years ago, it was out of necessity because uh, we dressed six offensive linemen at one point in the season. We just had nobody to, to play that position. We were so decimated by injuries that they couldn't expect to run the ball and they had to just do whatever they could to try and matriculate the football down the field. Um, this year, you look at the numbers and they are what they are, right? Uh, Tanner McKee has been great. The passing attack, when the weapons have been healthy, has been really good and the running game has struggled. And so again, it, it is not that David Shaw doesn't want to run the football because he absolutely does with every fiber of his being. He wants balance, right? He, he, he wants 50-50. But you look at the numbers, they are what they are. We've been a better passing team than a running team. And so at some point, you kind of got to go where the arrow takes you. 
and so much of it historically with Stanford is that offensive line and the physicality and you bring in a sixth and sometimes a seventh offensive line. You got the two tight ends, sometimes three tight ends. You got the Walker Littles and those type of offensive linemen, right? And so I, I'm just looking at this line and, you know, there's there's only a couple guys with more than a handful of career starts. You're giving up 2.57 sacks per game. You're averaging 3.4 yards per carry. I mean, is is a lot of this come down to the line just hasn't hasn't evolved the way that you thought? You know, that is really, I think, one of the, the, the million-dollar questions for this season because everybody, both internally and externally, looked at this Stanford offensive line and said, they're going to be good, right? You know, they got some questions here and some questions on defense. But the offensive line, not a ton of experience, but you didn't really have any rookies either other than the center. The rest of those guys have been starters for at least some period of time. Um, and the results haven't been great. Now, the sacks are skewed a little bit um, by the last four plays in the Washington State game that were all sacks, okay. which is pretty phenomenal when you think about going <laughs> an entire football game. They didn't give up a single sack. And then on the four most important plays of the day, the first one trying to protect a four-point lead with six minutes to go on third and six, and then the three when you're down a field goal with a minute and a half, still plenty of time, and you go sack, 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 sack. When has that ever happened, right? Yeah. And so, you know, so the pass protection, what I'm, what I'm saying is has been pretty good outside of that. The run game has been an issue. It's been a big question. And, and I can't help but wonder, you know, it's just a theory, but but you sort of touched on it, Tony, is, is not a lot of guys with a ton of experience. There also aren't a lot of guys with a ton of chronological age. You know, there are so many programs in this conference where you look across the offensive line and it's senior, fifth-year guy, super senior, fifth-year, sixth-year. We got none of that. You know, our guys have all played and they do have some experience, but it is sophomore, sophomore, junior, sophomore. We're not we, we haven't we haven't kept those Walker Little type guys, the Drew Dalmans to come back for a fifth year. Right. Hey, props to them. They went, they got drafted and they moved on. And that's what happens. But we have not stacked this roster with all the fifth and sixth year players that a lot of the schools around the conference have. And I think that makes a difference. That's interesting. Uh, the four sacks in a row. I mean. God bless college oh, football, right? I mean, that, my, is, that I, is. I actually had to ask John Platts, my, my analyst, I actually asked him after we you know, gave up that last sack and the game was effectively over. I said, wait a minute. The last play when we were up four, our last offensive play from scrimmage was third and six. That was the sack, right? He said, yeah. I said, all right. So just to get this clear, it really was four consecutive plays on the defining plays of the game. And you take four straight sacks after not giving one up the whole game. Well, you know, so we got a guy in Zion Tupula-Fatui who, through the first three games of last year, had seven sacks. He didn't register a stat against you guys. And I thought a lot of that had to do with good game plan, but also you had a quarterback in Davis Mills who got the ball out early. He was tall. He knew where he was going with it. And you had some big receivers that made some plays. And I think Tanner McKee seems similar to me in that a smart guy, tall, gets the ball out on time, and delivers it pretty accurately. Um, so what what have you seen from him now that Davis Mills is in the NFL? And, and I know McKee didn't start the first game of the season, so there was a bit of a battle there, wasn't there? There was. Um, it was, I think, pretty clear to everybody, whether they were going to admit it or not internally, that Tanner McKee was going to be the starting quarterback mm -hmm. at some point. It was just a question of whether that was game one or game two or game seven or game 11. 
Um, so uh, nobody was surprised to see that call made early in the season. Um, and this is not uh, to disparage Jack West in any way, but Tanner McKee is special. Tanner McKee is a potential first-round draft pick kind of talent. Mm. So he was clearly going to be the guy at some point. Um, so I-, I can tell you all the things you mentioned, the size, the arm strength, the smarts. Um, he's only a sophomore academically, but he's a senior biologically because he went on a two-year mission so he's an older kid so i mean he's got all the tangibles and intangibles you could possibly want and we're seeing it play out the one thing that tanner needs to get better on is and and it goes to those four sacks it's not all on the line right the ability to sidestep a rush to feel the rush to be able to you know you don't have to be lamar jackson you just have to be able to sidestep an ongoing rusher, extend the play for one second so that you can make your next read and get get the ball off, and that's something he needs to get better at. You talked about his targets. Um, it seems like Benjamin Urasik has been uh, a pretty good one at the tight end position, a young guy, but, but a lot of yards per catch, 17 per reception on the season. And then the wide receiver room is, is banged up. What's the state of affairs in, in huh. hit the targets? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, we won't know really the answer to that until we get probably, you know, 90 minutes before kickoff. Um, the uh, the one guy who we know will be there is Elijah Higgins, who has really had a breakout season, did struggle a little bit in the last game against Washington State, but he was also drawing all the attention uh, because of the attrition and the injuries. Uh, John Humphrey, I think, and the coaches think, is going to be a star in this league. Uh, he's being pressed into that sort of uh, duty and expectation earlier because of the Bryson Tremaine injury. I don't think people realize how good Bryson Tremaine was literally the highest graded player on the entire team, regardless of position. Hmm. He has emerged into such an incredibly reliable, dynamic weapon. This is a guy who was a walker, right? I mean, it's really it was an incredible story. So, so much of not only the X's and O's, but the heart and soul, I think, of that offense and that receiver room was ripped out when he got hurt. But that said, Humphrey stepped up, a lot of talent. He's good, and, and everybody's comfortable with him. And they might get Michael Wilson back. And Michael Wilson hasn't played since the UW game last year when he got hurt. So, you know, here's a guy who is, you know, a, a, a legitimately talented, pedigreed guy. He's, you know, got, I don't know how many career catches, 70 or 80. He's got seven career touchdowns. Like, he's, he's a legitimate, starting, good Pac-12 wide receiver. Now, what are you going to get if he's on the field? How many snaps? Obviously, we don't know, but that will help. Um, but I should mention, just because you did at the outset, uh, Benjamin Urosik, the tight end, is blossoming before our very eyes into the next great Zacherts, Kobe Fleener, uh, Austin Hooper, Colby Parkinson, Stanford tight end. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has made plays in the last couple of weeks. It was sort of bubbling under the surface at the start of the season. A lot of hype, not a lot of production. Last two weeks, man, he has been awesome. And it's fun to watch. I haven't seen his 11-yard run on tape against Washington State. What sort of play gets drawn up to get a tight end to run like that? Was he lined up that's, at that's fullback a, or something? Uh, no, he, they just they, they, it was a sort of a jet sweep. Uh, it was it was pretty simple, and you know we hadn't done it before, so obviously they didn't see it coming. Um, the not so funny part was when you look at the stats three quarters of the way through the game, and he was still our leading rusher at one carry for 11 <laughs> yards. So that that's a bit of a problem. But the play was great. <laughs> Hey, let's talk kicking game a little bit. Um, you know, I, I see you got this kid, Joshua Cardi, who's been out there. He didn't go against ASU. And uh, you, you bring in a freshman out of North Dakota, Emmett Kinney, who gets, what, he gets injured on his first career PAT? 
Yeah. And, and, you know, you guys might be the one school that can uh, relate and empathize to the, the level of injury attrition that we've dealt with, not just this year, but the last few years. We're, we've got to be the only school in America that has to go three deep at the kicker position at any point in time in the season because of injury, not because of poor performance. Um, yeah, Kenny, it was a freak thing. Uh, he came on, lined up for the extra point, And as he was kicking it, as the leg was coming through the ball, it just like it buckled and he made the kick. But he fell to the turf, and I don't know exactly. They haven't, you know, said exactly what the injury is, but he's still on crutches. He's probably out for the season. I don't mm. know if he dislocated the hip. Looked like a hip thing, but it was crazy. Um, now, fortunately, our punter Ryan Sanborn is a good field goal kicker. I mean, if he was your starting guy, you'd be okay. Um, and he kicked the rest of that game, made three field goals, and obviously is there in a pinch. But um, it really, we're burying the lead. Cardi is uh, still young. Obviously, hasn't had a lot of tries to this point in his career. But watch the leg. Just watch in warm-ups. He, is, he has an astounding leg. I mean, this guy, if, if he shows the ability to get it through the uprights on a regular basis, he is an unquestionable NFL kicker. Um, I mean, 60 is effortless with him. Wow. Uh, I think the thing that we marveled at, we heard the stories coming in, is there's video of him in high school kicking a 50-yard field goal with his left foot. He's not what? left foot. Yeah, go look it up. It's awesome. This kid is just blessed with robotic legs. Yeah. That's crazy. And yeah. ambidextrous. I mean, because it's more than just strength, right? Like, that's that's something. That's picking up a golf club when you're right-handed right. and then just turning around and whack. That's that's pretty impressive. And, and in, in fact, I, I'd have to go back and check. Maybe I'm missing one from memory, but I think at least two of the three misses this year were off the off the goalpost. Like, mm. he's, he's, he's just – when he's missed, he's off by that much. Mm. But, man, the, the, the leg strength is a thing to a sight to behold. Yeah, I saw he hit a 51-yarder against Washington State. Okay, yeah. on, on the defense, um, let's see. Uh, I mean, again, you're, you're kind of banged up, but you got some playmakers, got some guys that have been around a long time. The, the guy I got circled is Caillou Blue Kelly. As a true freshman, he had a pick against us, and, and now he's just two years older and, and seems to be a lockdown guy. He is. Uh, you know, he's uh, he's really good. Uh, people want to compare him to Paulson Adebo, who was sort of the last guy, the last lockdown guy we had who's now with the Saints. Um, he's not quite there yet, at least in my estimation, but he's still really good. You can leave him on an island um, and he will be an NFL quarterback. Uh, so he, he's certainly the, the anchor back there. There's no question. Um the, the past defense has been better than I think a lot of people expected. And again, when I say a lot of people, I mean outside the program. Internally, they all, you know, everything's going to be great. Um, but uh, the, the young kids have really come in, Nicholas Toomer and, and uh, Jimmy Wyrick, you know, guys who've been pressed into duty because two of our starting four defensive backs, um, in theory this year, haven't played a snap all year. So they've really had to go deep at those positions Guys have acquitted themselves well. Um, you know, the problem has been more up front in terms of stopping the run, and that's been a, a persistent uh, issue. I, I know Jaden Slocum's a guy that has yeah, come in guy. as a yeah. true freshman, and and he was an early enrollee, and I think this is the first time in Stanford history you've ever taken early enrollees. What what kind of um, allowed that change to happen at a place where I know that they, they don't make many exceptions like that? That is good knowledge on your part. Uh, in fact, we had two in the spring. It was Slocum and it was Ari Patu, who's a backup quarterback. And they are, in fact, the first two early enrollees in Stanford football history. Uh, you know, I can't speak to exactly what led to the change in uh, philosophy. I I'm sure that 
it's something that the football staff would have liked to have done earlier. This was a university policy, a longstanding university policy. And uh, for whatever reason, I'm sure it was years of negotiation. Maybe it was COVID, who knows? Um, but somebody somewhere must have relented and said, okay, we'll give you a couple, we'll try it, we'll see how it works, and we'll go from there. So my hope is that they were the first and will not be the last uh, early enrollees, because I think it was great, especially with Slocum, to get them on campus because, you know, look, now he's playing in, in live football games because of the injuries. So, you know, those extra couple months certainly help him. It, it seems to me like, I mean, you've got a longtime defensive coordinator. He's been there seven or eight years now. But the last few years, I mean, this defense has not been up to what it was when you're going to Rose Bowls and that sort of thing. And and it's, again, much like running the football, it's not just a one-year trend, maybe even a, a couple down years, but this is three or four years now. And I know you've also been injured as well. So how much do you put on injuries and, and how much do you put on maybe some things have been found out where Stanford's now just having a harder time keeping other teams out of the end zone? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that the answer is probably yes, right? It's 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 not – not genuine to say, well, you know, all the injuries and, you know, what do you expect? Of course we were, you know, but it's also, you know, not fair to the program to dismiss that because the injuries and this year, not as much, uh, you know, they have the two guys in the secondary, but they've also compensated well. But I tell you what, in 2020 and especially 2019, the injury situation was astounding. I mean, it was astounding. We've got our, our, our linebackers. I mean, you look at the depth chart and Ricky Miezan and Jacob Mangum Farrar, who are listed as our starting inside linebackers, they're both academic seniors. You know how many games they had played in their Stanford careers combined prior to this season? One. Amazing. <laughs> One. Yeah. Right? Injuries. I mean, those guys had two complete years wiped out because of injury, and those are deemed to be your top inside guys. So. You know, when you're dealing with this just litany of, especially in the front seven of guys who haven't been able to answer the bell over the last few years, that certainly has hurt the cause. Um, but that said, you look at the numbers this year, the front seven has been relatively healthy and we're still, you know, not stopping the run to a satisfactory level. You know, they, they've got to do a better job. We've got to get more pressure on the quarterback. Somebody besides Thomas Booker on the defensive line has got to, you know, step up and become a star in this league. Right. So. You know, uh, it's hard to speak to the big picture trend, and I'm sure we could talk for an hour about what may or may not be behind it. But the bottom line is they know they've got to address it. They're working on it. And hopefully, you know, at least the better health that they've had will will pay off. Obviously, everybody in college football loves to play home games. There's no place like home, right? I mean, you, you go through this epic seven-game road trip that's kind of unprecedented for this day and age. I mean – the the last four games of last year due to COVID reasons locally. And then the first three games of this year just due to the schedule. And so I I just wonder from your standpoint how you think that affects a team as it's trying, you know, to, to build some momentum. Uh, David Shaw, I think I read a quote where he said, we have to give the guys a map to the stadium. They haven't been there in so long. You know, I, I, how, what, what role do you think that's played, if any, with this year? You know, it's hard to say because – Last year, that the 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 four the mandated four game road trip at the end of the year was obviously unprecedented, and they went four and zero. Yeah, you know the, the, it was the whole road dogs mentality. They embraced it. Um, you know they were all tight games, could have gone either way, and they managed to find a way and deep down. So I think that psychologically, as difficult as it was. You know, it brought them together, whatever, somehow, some way it worked and they made the most of it and they thrived. 
Then you got to come back this year and start the first three on the road. And I think that having the the positive mental benefit of whatever they went through last year with the COVID with four, with four straight probably helped them get through that first stretch when they went two and one. The loss to Kansas State wasn't pretty. In fact, it was the opposite of pretty, but they were still mixing quarterbacks. You know, 9 a.m. local kickoff time, you can make, you know, all, all the, the standard reasons for why it just didn't go well. Um, but they came back, they beat Vanderbilt, who they were supposed to be, but they won at USC. And, you know, we know what happened, you know, the next day the head coach is fired and everything else. But um, so I think that they survived that and and thrived as best they could given the circumstances but for me it's less about the seven games in a row than it is about the five out of seven to start this season right i think you, you know last season on an island who in the world plays five road games in the first seven weeks of a college football season that wasn't covid that wasn't santa clara county that was scheduled and so you know it's absurd I mean, we're sitting here it's going to be you know what is the, the day before halloween and we've played two home games. Crazy. I mean, that's that's nuts. And so that, I think, has taken its toll. I'm sure being in Pullman for the last of those five games, even though it was a nice day, it wasn't weather, whatever else, at some point it, it drains on you. I mean, it drains you know, on me, and I'm not playing. <laughs> right? So I think that the schedule has been a factor. Coach will never admit it. You wouldn't expect him to. You wouldn't want him to use that as an excuse. But there is no way that five road games in seven weeks and, oh, by the way, Kansas State, UCLA, Oregon, USC. I mean, it's not like they're playing, you know, the little sisters of the poor for those mm -hmm. games. These are not only five road games, but it's difficult opponents during that entire stretch. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on what the keys are for Stanford to try to get a win. I mean, I know from our standpoint – I mean, we got to get off the field. You know, last year you were ten for thirteen on third downs, and you're just like a you're like a boa constrictor when you got the football. Just like you're, there's hope that we can get it back. Oh no, it's just the final eight minutes of the game. Stanford's marching down the field, and uh, typically when we play Stanford, these are games that just like I mean, we we had the ball seven times last year. We scored on. Five of them, but we only had the ball seven times in the entire football game. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. And so I'm thinking for for this year, okay, maybe they can't run the football as effectively. Maybe that means there's more possessions. But then I'm looking at your game against Kansas State. There were 97 snaps in the whole football game or 92 or something like that. Crazy. So it's probably going to be a typical Washington-Stanford game where both teams have the ball eight times. What, what are the keys from Stanford's perspective to get the win? We got to stop the run. You know, I mean, I, I, I've, I've stopped, I think for the first four or five games, it was, we've got to run the ball and stop the run. <laughs> I, I think at this point, I, I don't care if you run the ball as long as you move the ball. <laughs> right? Especially if Humphreys and Wilson are back and they have four legitimate, you know, weapons at wide receiver well, three at wide receiver, one tight end, and Austin Jones, who was a really good receiver out of the backfield. That's enough guys that if you got to throw it 35 times to win the game, sure, that's that's fine. You know, and, and we we only snap the ball, you know, 50 times a game. So that's that's the, the vast majority. So for me, the key is to stop the run. We've got to just limit those chunk run plays. And it's not just the 30 yarders, but it's the seven yarders on first down. You yeah. know, it's just 
that that for me is the difference. If you tell me that, you know, we're going to have success against the run in this game because I feel good about their past defense, it's been pretty consistent, then, you know, I think Stanford's got a real good chance to win the game. Uh, we've only got two runs of over 20 yards all season long and, <laughs> <didn't notice> that. <laughs> and that's last in the country. Right. And I, I just, I, but on the flip side, it's the same thing. You can't stop the run. So, I mean, this is very similar to what we went into last week. Both teams struggle in the ground game on both sides of the ball. And so something's got to give, I, I think it's going to yeah. be fascinating. And uh, I look forward to uh, going down to the farm and checking it out. Scott, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. It's uh, it's going to be fun. You know, uh, hopefully there's a, a jolt from home cooking, which they haven't had much of. So the, the energy that's there, hopefully they'll be able to feed off of it. But yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We've seen some doozies over the years. So I expect this to be no different. The last thing, I mean, you know, given the way this league is this year, I mean, you're two and three in the league. We're two and two. I don't think either of us are out yet. Right. I mean, like you, you win some games and I mean, maybe with your one extra loss, it's a little bit tougher for you, but I mean, both these teams, I mean, this is a pretty desperate game here. They're fighting for bowl eligibility. You're fighting for still staying alive in the league. Yeah, no, I mean, clearly. Uh, you know, I think that if, look, if ever there was a year where you could see three losses, a three-loss North champ, this is it. Um, but that said, you know, Oregon's had a couple of chances to drop that second game in the league, and they haven't done it. And, you know, time's running out for, for that to happen. So, uh, you know, it's it's probably a long shot to think at two and three that, you know, hey, the, the Pac-12 North is, you know, still on the table right now. Maybe that changes in two weeks. But, you know, a, a bowl game, still potentially a good bowl game. I mean, there, there are a lot of things that are still out there. And knowing you've got four of your last five at home has to give you some sort of mental jolt, I would think. So, uh, yeah, this game is massive. I mean, it's, it's clearly massive on both sides. Thanks, Scott. I'll see you on uh, Saturday. Uh, sounds good. Man. Thanks to Scott Reese for his time. Also, thanks to Junior Adams, wide receivers coach at the University of Washington, for giving us a preview from the dog's perspective. That's all the time we've got for you on this Football Friday edition of the Go Huskies podcast. The dogs will be down at Stanford for a 7.30 kickoff in Palo Alto. Our pregame coverage on the network will start at 5.30 p.m. on Saturday. And flagship station in Seattle, 9.50 KJR. We'll begin with the Husky Honks at 3.30. Until next time, go dogs. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. All state vehicle and property insurance company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.